This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Alison Morrow, don't you love my intro? I do. I need to get whoever made that for you to make one for me. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like we're in a war? Well, if we're in a war, I'm running for the hills, literally. Uh, so I, I don't even live in the city anymore. And uh, I'm in a garage with an Airstream behind me. I hope the signal is okay so you guys can see and, and hear. Yeah, your signal your signal is iffy, but we can get through it. We'll we'll forgive oh. you. We'll forgive you. Let me know. If you need me to go closer to the house, I can totally do that. But nobody really gets to see me live with this behind me because normally I'm in my studio and my daughter is sleeping right now. So that's why I'm here. So that's actually an exclusive for your viewers. Even if it is grainy and you can't even tell what it is, hardly anyone gets to see me talking in front of the Airstream. So you have to pay extra to germ for this. I I like the Airstream. Well, uh, we don't live in it. We're renovating it. And we bought it to renovate to live in because we were going to buy property and build a house and live in the Airstream in the meantime. And now I think we've changed our plans where we're just going to use it to travel since getting on an airplane is such a pain in the butt these days. And then we can camp in it and stuff like that. We're just having a kid and then we move twice we have horses but we left the city we left seattle in 2019 and now we live in the middle of kind of nowhere and so that's why i say if we're in the war uh we're we're not i don't think we're on the front lines or maybe we are maybe we're on the front lines of changing the way that things are going but with lifestyle versus ideology politics and yelling at people online um you are a journalist or a former journalist or or uh, a, a rehabilitated journalist or something what's your story <laughs> yeah i don't know what i am anymore well i was a tv reporter for 12 almost 13 years and I've worked in multiple states in the United States. And my last job was in Seattle, which is a very large market. It's the market that you would leave and then go to New York or Los Angeles and work for national news for NBC or CBS or Fox or whatever. Mm. And I actually did start my career as a producer at Fox News Channel in New York City. So I did environmental reporting for about five years in seattle i covered all kinds of wildlife it was really interesting but towards the last year or two of my career i finally started to gain enough knowledge to see what i didn't know because i think as the saying goes the more you know the more you realize you don't know and yeah. the less you know you think you know everything and so i had lived in this kind of bubble with people that thought a lot of the same things and journalists tend to just go to bars together and hang out together and they don't necessarily have relationships with people who are very different. And I, I would say that because of our interest in living in the country and I liked hiking and I've, I've always had horses. And so I knew I, that those activities like hiking and horseback riding and, um, 
skiing kind of took me out of the city bubble. And so I, I was at the same time as I was learning all this information as a reporter, I was building relationships with people who really didn't like the news. And I would hear why, why they didn't trust the news. And I, I would match that with some of the things that were starting to concern me as a mm. professional. So eventually I told my bosses that in order to stay, I needed to be able to reinvent my position and I needed really a lot more time to do my job. And they just kind of thought I was nuts. So I quit. So now I do YouTube and podcasting and all that stuff. And I do news analysis, media analysis, just to kind of tell people how it works. What, what really drives the, the fake news? Is it a massive conspiracy that all the reporters are in on? Or are they a bunch of useful idiots who just do the bidding of higher powers? And I think it's usually that. But as far as that war is concerned, it's funny because, as you, you know, think about the sort of upheaval in society right now. I think a lot of journalists, mainstream journalists, see themselves as on the front line of really protecting people from from something. There is some kind of monster but the public, you know, a lot of the public sees them as the monster. See, they think yeah. they're protecting you from yourself, you know, or for something else. Whereas the public starting to wake up and realizing that no, actually, we need like protection from them. So there, there's all this dissonance there, and a lot of, I think, a lot of journalists blame the public. Still, they don't, they don't necessarily see why there's so much distrust in what they're doing. Okay, before we continue, your video has pretty much frozen entirely. It's just your audio coming through. Oh. So maybe if we, if <laughs> okay. we, could, just, if we could just try and fix that. How does that, is that okay? I think so. I think so. I'll only be able to tell you in about five mm -hmm. minutes' time <laughs> once it's settled. You, you were telling me your story about why you, why you decided to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, How is it working out? How is it working out for you? I love it. I never thought that I was going to love being a mom as much as I do. I quit my TV career. I put in my notice and then found out that I was pregnant about a week later. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't know because I think I might have been nervous giving up the salary and everything. Oh, there's a kid on the way. And I would have had her and just been miserable working 11 12 hours a day barely seeing her barely getting to be a participant in her life and life now is so simple in the sense that like as a reporter every day was very different i was out on research boats or i was hiking mountains looking for wolverine tracks just all kinds of things and now every day is kind of the same but she's so different every mm. day and I can't imagine missing that. So number one, I'm, I'm loving just the simplicity of life because I can focus on the changes of the small things. One of my friends once said that being a parent is about, per, is about appreciating the little things that a lot of the world tells us to, that we should take for granted, that there's no meaning or purpose. It's just uh, what you have to do so that you can mm. go do the other stuff, the other exciting stuff. And I found this to be the most fulfilling job I've ever had. So that's great. Um, you can't see it, but I'm looking at snow on, you know, land and mountains as, as far as the eye can see. We have coyotes that run across our horse pasture. 
um, all kinds of wildlife deer. My horses are right there. I, I grew up riding horses and never had my horse right at my house um, until recently. And so that's been awesome. It's quiet. There's no, I don't hear gunshots. Well, I do hear gunshots, but they're not shooting people. Usually they're shooting animals to eat. Um, there's no, you know, nobody like I'm worried about when I was in the city, downtown Seattle had a lot of problems with drugs and mental illness and law enforcement that was told to really stand down. There's, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just peaceful. And I think maybe one of my theories and like why some people don't like this kind of life, not every, it's not for everybody, but for some people that might, it's scary because when things get quiet, you just have you and your thoughts. Yeah. And then you have to start doing the self-reflection that you didn't have to do when life was really busy and you had lots of distractions. And I think sometimes it can be scary because this journey of quiet on the outside takes you inside versus the, the way I used to live, which was I didn't really have to do much self-reflection because there was just too much to think about around me. So yeah. I love it. You were talking about people shooting um, animals. Uh, you could you could hear the sounds yeah. of that. Um, I I immediately thought of uh, Buck Lives Matter. Is that a terrible joke? I'm sorry. <laughs> Black Lives Matter. No, and no, Buck, getting shot. Buck, Buck Lives Matter. Oh, I was saying Buck Lives Matter. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I guess. Yeah, no, it's not a terrible a terrible joke. I guess the Bucks would probably appreciate it. All. You guys let me know. All right. Yeah, I see a few watching the podcast, so they say thank you for thinking of them. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is, it's is—it's kind of funny that you bring that up, though, because um, in Seattle, too, there it was very much sort of like a pro-vegan, um, hug-the-animals kind of place. And yet I also found that, that people didn't really have much connection if, if they were – if they were sort of that kind of activist, they didn't always have the connection to their food that the hunters did and, and realize that they too have an impact on wildlife that when you eat a lot of corn or you eat a lot of mm. vegetables, whatever that has to be produced on land that you take habitat too. And I think another thing I've learned living out in the country is this, this narrative that my old industry, um, perpetuates i think of city versus country uh intelligent versus unintelligent people who care versus people who don't care about others and it's just false and it, it is really more of a reflection of a lot of the, the journalists just living in cities and really having no connection to rural areas speaking of animals you have seen animals on my side of the world you're telling me yes yes Yes, I've been to uh, several parts of South Africa, the south, I guess it would be the southeast portion, and then also the northeast area, which if you said some names, I could tell you. Not Port too far. Is Zimbabwe right on the border? Yes, Zimbabwe is north. On the other um, side? Okay. Yeah, so probably an hour from the border up in the northeast area. If you said some words, it's something that starts with a K maybe. Well, you said earlier to me that you've been to Port Elizabeth. For L. I've been to Port Elizabeth. Yep, I've mm. been there. And, and you said you said L. A, a so there's a there's a province called Limpopo. Yeah, 
Limpopo. That's where I've been. Yeah, I've been to Limpopo twice. So, uh, yeah, my husband um, works with an organization that does uh, protection for some of these reserves and trains people who are locals that do protection. He's a human behavior expert and tracking expert, that kind of stuff. He was former special operations in the Marine Corps. So kind of the pay is not great, but the trade-off is that he gets to bring me for free. So that was the deal. So I've been a couple times and I've really, I just, there was a, a while where we were considering moving there because we just thought it's just so gorgeous. I think my husband would still do it in the era of COVID. It's starting to become more and more concerning for me, like how you travel now. And so it's just not as easy as just getting on an airplane and going somewhere. And so you end up getting locked in. And I think the, the guys that they have, the Americans that they have on these reserves, I don't, I mean, I don't know if they can leave. Can they? Can they leave or they can't come back? I'm not sure. What is the rule there now? I'm not sure either. You guys really don't even have much of an emergency over there that the cases have been low. Of course, some people say that's because people, folks are taking hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin on a regular basis. I don't know if that's true. I know you talk to doctors who don't even think COVID exists. It's funny because when I first got into the, this world as a journalist, one interview that got me suspended on YouTube was a doctor who was just saying, Hey, natural immunity should be considered in these <laughs> exemptions. I, and I thought he was controversial, you know? And then I started interviewing the people like, Oh, you don't even think COVID exists. Okay. That's controversial. So I, you get, you start going down this rabbit hole and get to the, and so now when I talk to journalists who are just quitting the business and they say, do you have contact info for this guy? I mean, I know he's controversial and I look at him and I go, that guy is not controversial. <laughs> you think that because of where you came from, but once you start getting down the rabbit hole, it's like, oh, all right. Like, and and w I think it coming from my old industry, and I don't know what my peers think about me anymore. They must think that I've just totally fallen off my rocker. But w what I realize is that we also push this this idea that if you talk to somebody, it means you agree with them, you endorse everything they're saying. And I think that that's, that's a manipulative tactic to keep people from associating with each other, especially mm. publicly, because what, what will they say or what are the social repercussions or professional repercussions? And I think that's intentional. It, I think it's a tactic to keep people separated and divided because they're easier to control that way. And then, yes. and then you just think, oh, that person really is crazy or they're scary. But what I decided to do was just say, screw that. I'm just going to talk to anybody. And I'll yes, find out exactly. for myself if they're scary, you know? And they're not scary. You know, they, they're, and then you have to really contend with the fact that these people who you were told were nuts are somehow making these cogent arguments. And now you have to debate them. You have to actually debate the idea. You can't just slander their character. And exactly. so that's why I think that, that that tactic is used because if you can keep people just saying, oh, they're an anti-vaxxer or they're whatever that even means anymore, then they don't even seek out the information. Then they never, they never have to come to terms with their own biases or the holes in their own arguments. And, um, and then we all just stay in our little corners of the world. We never talk to people who are different than us. And it's much easier to control people who are, who are like that and afraid. That's 100% correct. Um, CyberDog, who is watching right now from Germany, says the reason why COVID is extremely low in Africa is because most Africans don't have TVs. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's actually an interesting argument. I, 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 you know, my parents canceled their television subscription even when I was in the business. They said, "I sorry, you know, we appreciate that you have a job, but we don't want to, we don't want the product." So we, they, so even my own parents canceled their cable news subscription even when I was in the business. So I, I don't blame you. I think it's probably a good idea. Okay. I started uh, out as a producer, which is a behind the scenes position. You're, you're basically, well, where I worked at Fox news channel, which is a national cable outlet. Most people are probably familiar with Fox news channel. What I did was uh, what is pretty common there, which is like a booking producer. So you'd be given a segment you know, from 7am to 710am. And they would want to talk about terrorism. And so you would have to find the terrorism expert who who they're who's gonna be your expert for that topic. Uh, Book them the car, write the questions for the anchors, put the research packets together. And then I work for a morning show, so I would work from three o'clock in the morning until noon or one p.m. I'd leave those. Pa- I know it's terrible. I'd leave those packets for the anchors, and then I'd go home, and then I'd come back the next morning. And so I basically produced the segment, everything from I had the video ready to go that they would roll while the person's talking, the questions that the anchors asked, all that stuff. And I got to do some fun stuff. I met Ozzy Osbourne. Um, actually when I was an intern, I met, you know, like famous soccer players and, uh, I booked the circus and some famous musicians and people like John McCain and like politicians like that. And, and, and Mitt Romney. I, I never met Mitt Romney. Well, oh. actually I covered, I covered, um, his campaign in Florida when he was running for president and I, and I saw him, but I didn't actually get to meet him, but, uh, I called him, I used to call him Mittens because everybody would get so serious. So I just, I just tried to blow off a little steam and call him Mittens, but people said that was disrespectful. (laughs) So, so I went from Fox, I quit after a year because I just, I don't know. I didn't, I just didn't feel like my life was really going towards anything meaningful. And I, I just didn't have anyone at that time. No, really explain like, what was the point of journalism anyway? I didn't even go to journalism school. I was a history major in college. And so I, I just felt kind of like that. Eh, this isn't for me. So I went back to graduate school. I actually got a master of divinity degree. I studied theology and psychology with a specialty in, um, counseling. And, um, I thought I was going to be a psychotherapist. You also Are studied- you ready for some counseling? Is that why you're smiling? You also, no, because I know that you also didn't want to do preaching. I didn't want to do preaching. Yeah, how did you know that? Uh, well, you know, I, I I have to do a bit of homework before I chat to my You have guests. your ways. You have your ways. You're spies. <laughs> I thought only the government was monitoring my devices. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, I didn't want to do preaching. And I was forced to take a preaching class. That was where I... I started thinking that maybe I wanted to go back into news and be a reporter because I never really wanted to be on camera. But I did I did think about what my preaching professor said and, and like storytelling, like how you frame things and how important that is for your community, whether mm. you're going to make everybody scared and divided or you're going to give information away that is useful and, and um, you know, doesn't stir people up in hysteria all the time. So... I went back into the news business and I worked in Macon, Georgia, which is a small town in central Georgia, just south of Atlanta, about an hour south of Atlanta. 
And after eight months there, I did two years in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is like a medium sized market in East Tennessee, which was very pretty and nice. And it was, it was a decent newsroom. And then I moved to Tampa, Florida. I'm actually from Florida and that's my hometown. So I moved to Tampa, Florida and I did three years in Tampa, Florida. So in Macon, I was with a Fox affiliate and I don't know if your viewers know this, but an affiliate versus an owned and operated station is different. So if you work for an affiliate locally, you get their programming. Like you'll get, if they show uh, Dr. Phil, you'll get Dr. Phil, but, uh, and you may get some of the packages, like the news stories from the national affiliate, mm-hmm. but they, but the ownership is not, is not CBS or NBC. You're owned by some other company. So the only reason that's important to understand is that if you're watching a, a local station that's owned by somebody else, they have more influence than the national news. So I may work for NBC and people would look at the NBC affiliate, but it's owned by Tegna and people go, Oh, she's just a show for NBC. NBC is a show for George Soros, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, but NBC doesn't really have any influence on me. It's my ownership company that has all the influence on what I do. And so for all the stations I work for, they were affiliates, not owned and operated. So I never had the network saying, Allison, you have to do this. But the ownership companies think very similarly. So there's just a lot of influence there. So then my final job was Seattle, Washington. So Macon, Georgia, Knoxville, Tennessee, Tampa, Florida, Seattle, Washington. What is journalism actually? To me, journalism is observing what's going on and doing your best to accurately relay it to people who don't. Uh, So I think the idea that there can be fully objective journalism, I, I don't, I don't know if that's really possible because it's a human exercise and people observe reality differently, but that's dip, but the, there's a difference between having blind spots and then being open to those being challenged when you, you seek them out, you seek out other viewpoints. And that's different than what we have in a lot of ways today, which is actively denying certain voices actively running away from information actively suppressing information that challenges a narrative so i i think that's where journalism really started to take a nosedive is when not that there weren't problems before but when journalists started to see their job instead of seeking out the contrarian which that was what news was in in a lot of ways when i first started what's what's interesting about reporting what everybody else already thinks that the interesting news was always the person that was the dissenter the person that had a different idea that's news that's that's something new now news is just propaganda in a lot of ways it's just like suppressing that voice the dissenter the contrarian saying that they're they're a risk to public health or whatever else national security whatever whatever the danger is at the time and then just continuing to just beat people over the head with the the acceptable ideas and and a lot of these journalists really believe they're doing the right thing you know they're 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 servants of the public good and they would think like dr bailey who you've had on i mean they would think giving her a platform that's what they would call it platforming her giving her a platform would just be that would just be crazy 
they would just think that you're that you're you're killing people and you can't do that they would they would they, they would think that their ignorance of her is is what makes them better journalists not worse and i look at it and i say you're a worse journalist for not knowing what somebody like dr bailey is saying or any of these other doctors yeah. who are questioning the narrative i mean you mentioned controversial earlier what does it even mean what does controversial mean yeah, I mean, in the context of journalism, is it is it simply is it simply the distance you're moving away from a mainstream narrative? Probably, I guess controversial to me means an idea that that challenges very important beliefs for very powerful interests and. So it doesn't mean it's wrong. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's probably right. But it's, it's something that has, it's something that would remove, uh, uh, whether it's, a, it's an ability to control or influence in some way, remove the, the power that comes with the narrative that it's challenging. And like I said about journalists earlier, I don't think they see that. I don't think they're saying to themselves, I'm, I'm a puppet of special interests. And so I should, I should not talk to that person because otherwise Pfizer will not have control over society. They don't think that they, they genuinely feel like they're protecting you. (laughs) You know, it's crazy. To, to kind of think that way. But, but the more I consider it and the more I hear how journalists are talking, like I just saw a former coworker of mine tweet about some, I think I, I didn't even check the news on this, but Texas just passed some law that has to do with teaching, I think sexuality in school. And so of course, like people are going, Oh, this is anti-trans, these anti-trans people. And um, a, an old colleague of mine who's still employed in the business tweeted you will never convince me that Texas is not only a terrible place to live, but I would—I don't even want to drive through it. Like, how does a journalist think that it's okay to say something like that? You know, and you're, you're in Seattle where, I hate to tell you, but there actually are a lot of people in the Seattle area who don't want their kids going to drag queen story hour at the library. But you're not, you know, you think that you don't include their voices well, are we surprised about that? Because look at how you tweet. You just publicly say that anyone who who is on that side of things is uh, terrible. You don't even want to drive through their state. You see that disdain, that just that just snobbery. It's just dripping in snobbery and disdain and, and elitism. And they're they're so they're so smug about it. They don't even hide it anymore. That that to me has been the most shocking. Is that it's one thing to walk around quietly like in your head with your nose sticking up in the air it's quite another to just scream it from the rooftops and that's what they do now it's totally nuts it's virtue signaling yeah well and just worse i mean i don't even know what the word is but it's just it's it's just gross well in that case in that case texas is my first choice to move to we're probably moving to texas and i thought about (laughs) writing it back saying that well good you know more room for me you know? Any, any, anything that the uh, corporate media hates generally means it's good, in my view. 
I, I, I can totally agree with that. Yeah. Like just, or at least something that you, it would benefit you to learn about. Um, if they, if they think you shouldn't, then it's like, that's definitely a green light that you should learn about it <laughs> for sure. That it's an idea worth considering. Do you think that, um, news should weigh more in favor of editorializing or just plain reporting? Well, I think news should report. I mean, if that's what they're saying they're doing, I don't, I don't mind opinion. I just think it needs to be defined that way. I think you can't like my problem with CNN, for instance, is that they pretend that they're just giving you the facts when they're clearly not giving you the facts. It's so obvious. I don't even know how they can convince themselves that they're, they're just giving you the facts. Like all their anchors are opinion, opinion anchors. They, it's just, so, so I don't like, I don't, I don't mind people giving their thoughts on something. I just think that you need to say that that's what we're doing. One of the things that I've said many times publicly, like to help people understand how it works behind the scenes is if like my old my old outlets would go on at the beginning of the newscast when the the sound the brand is is flashing and the sound is playing in the background the music the theme song like yours is if they would come on screen and they'd say welcome to the five o'clock news we really couldn't do a lot with the time we had only a couple of hours so we barely know what we're talking about take this with a grain of salt if they said that i would say okay that's that's at least accurate to what what we're doing here we're kind of bumping our heads around in the dark we don't really know if we've investigated this topic as thoroughly as we should have and you just shouldn't take us as the experts if they said that i'd be fine but instead what they do is the the theme song plays and the brand flashes and they go this is the most trusted name in news, the accurate news of five o'clock, blah, blah, blah. And it's, they, they, they feign this, this expertise, which that was what I, I started to wake up to towards the end. And I got really nervous about going on TV, pretending that this was all there was mm. like, that's, we present it. Like we did this thorough investigation and we're, we're showing you what, what the different ideas are. And we're not because besides the fact that we barely had time to do that investigating, I had like two hours for people to do an interview, which means the only people who ended up on TV were the ones who called me back right away. So the people who were ready to jump on television, which a lot of the the folks who are maligned by the media, they're not going to call you back right away. And they know how it works. They know that they're only going to get a 10 second sound bite. So why, why are they going to bother? And you're going to edit and chop it up. And that's because we have to keep our stories to 90 seconds or less. How can you cover a, a topic in 90 seconds or less that requires a significant amount of explaining? So there's just a whole, a whole bunch of problems with the system that they keep people like that. But that's my main, that's my main concern is it's not, the, it's not the editorializing itself. It's that it's, they're lying about it, about what they're doing. So do you think Joe Rogan does journalism? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't know what you call it. Uh, I mean, it's, 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 marketed as a podcast i don't know what that is um Mm -hmm. this that's what that's what this is that's what you do i don't is it maybe it is maybe it is who knows i mean it's the same thing it's just a different format and much Mm -hmm. longer form right what do you think i i I really don't know um 
Well, the way I don't, I, the way I look at it is like I don't like saying someone is a journalist because I think the act of journalism, like I, I, I might do German, journalism one day and I might do commentary the next day, and so, so I would say yeah, there are times when Joe Rogan does what I would consider journalism, and I think you know other times he sort of breaks off into commentary. Um, but I do think you get a better understanding of the ideas that people have by watching him than you would ever have watching mainstream corporate mm. news. Now they would argue, yeah, but he's not showing all the different sides because he only has the one person on. But then I would say, well, you're not either. And you know, you're not because how can you possibly show all the sides in 90 seconds? Like you're shortchanging the viewers too. You are back. What happened? <laughs> I don't know. My I live out in the middle of nowhere and my Wi-Fi is terrible, so I apologize. It's, it's funny because doing this internet thing as a living, which we can talk about how I also got fired from my other job in a second, oh, but yes. um you know, I, I can I can live in the middle of nowhere because I don't have to be tied to an office, but I need the internet to do my job now, and I like living in the middle of nowhere, and the internet's not really that great, so it's, it's kind of a conundrum. Uh, your YouTube channel is still going strong, and it's got a lot of subscribers. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what you're doing right. How? I don't think it is. I think it's limping along right now, honestly. Oh. It, it's um, I've been in purgatory, losing subscribers. I lost like 200 subscribers since um, December. And the only reason yesterday I got this huge bump is because Viva Frey, uh, my friend who is the Canadian guy who does some of the vlogs and was just with the Ottawa truckers. Uh, I had a live stream with the USA truck convoy and he was on a live stream and told his viewers, he's got 500 something thousand on YouTube to go watch Allison's live stream. So my, my live stream went from uh, like 200 people to 1200 in <laughs> two minutes so youtube goes oh this must be a great so for the first time in months i think they actually started recommending my channel again so i gained like a thousand subscribers but i mean i've 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 been limping along since my last suspension i think i'm on some kind of list that's only there's only sense i can make of it like why i would go from gaining to all of a sudden just nothing like no because you know you can see on youtube who's looking new returning subscribers or new people new new viewers and i mean my new viewers is like flatlined um and you know it's possible people hate what i'm doing but i think it'd be weird to just for all that to happen as you know all of a sudden out of nowhere so um, um i like i like yeah. being on the other platforms the problem has been like odyssey i don't really know how to do that as a, a full-time job i i don't know how to make income on odyssey so i'm glad that they back up my channel but I don't really know how the income works there. And um, so the only two places that I've been able to make this a career has been Locals and Rockfin. I'm on Rumble, but even Rumble, it's still ad-based. And it's like, I think I've made like 57 cents or something on Rumble. So, and YouTube, I'm way down too. So I, I'm glad actually for that in a lot of ways because if YouTube totally cut me off, it would be very insignificant at this point. Um, uh, do you think that journalists can be balanced? You you alluded earlier to perhaps not being able to. No, I think they can be balanced. I just don't think they can be 
omniscient, if that makes sense. And I think in order to be completely objective, you would have to be omniscient. In other words, you would have to like see and know everything. And I, I don't, I don't think a human being is capable of doing that and unless they spend their whole life just studying one topic. And even then I think they're still receiving information and transmitting information through a filter of everything from their childhood to where they live and the relationships and politics and all that kind of thing. But I do think you can be balanced. I think given the right circumstances and the right management, there were times where my favorite stories were the ones where I'd come back and people would ask me who was right. And instead of, instead of answering, I have no effing clue, which I did sometimes because I just really didn't know because I didn't have time to, mm. to even investigate. But there were times I did have time and I would come back and I'd say, I don't know. But what I, and what I meant was I could see it either way. And, and that was like, those were my favorite stories where I would come back and say, I could see it either way. And I, I honestly don't, I don't have a, and I don't have an opinion about this. And I, I don't, I'm glad I'm not the person that's having to make the decision because I don't know what I would do. That actually, to me, was a signal of success for the day that I, I had listened enough to the different perspectives and I could see validity in all of them to mm. the extent that I really didn't have a side and and I didn't have a side not because I was like I'm going into this not having a side it was actually because I learned so much and I was willing to listen to the different ideas with with uh, curiosity not trying to argue but just genuine curiosity trying to really understand what the person was thinking that I walk away and say I could see it their way too. And I could see it that person's way. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't, don't know. That, that to me was a success. I, I think a lot of journalists think that the success is when you come back and you go, that's the person, you know, I know they're the right idea. That's the right idea. That person's the smart one. They know what they're talking about. I actually think that's a loss. Um, you know, maybe in some cases it's not, you know, it, there are some where it's like very obvious, but in others, I, I think, you know, being able to sit back and go, I don't know. I mean, I could see that person's point of view, but I could also see that person. And then maybe you go, but I agree with this person. But you don't, you're not sitting there like, um, uh, I was just making sure I closed my door. My daughter wasn't hearing me scream out here on the porch. Uh, anyway, <laughs> she's leaving. Um, you know, you're not sitting there like uh, beating the drums for one side or the other. You're, you're genuinely pensive about the different perspectives and uh, respectful, I think. And, and, you know, maybe in some cases you do have to call BS on political leaders and you're like, I don't see it your way. And, mm. you know, like Fauci, for instance, and, and you're, you're holding them accountable, but I'm talking more like issues of um, not, not necessarily the powerful issues of just the regular people. And, um, you're trying to understand why they see things differently. You know, people who are just your average person, I think it's a win to be able to put your yourself in, in the shoes of all the, of the different people um, and see, see from their perspective. So I do what's think the, you can be balanced. What's that saying? Um, seek, seek first to understand before being understood. It's kind of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Oh Yeah. Um, isn't that a prayer? I feel like that's a line in a prayer. Uh, because I said the word seek. <laughs> oh, maybe. No, I think it's like a Francis of Assisi or somebody look it up. I'm, I think that's, I think it's like, may I be, may I seek first to be, to understand then understood. May I, you know, serve rather than to be served. I think there's a, 
there's a prayer. I, I, I used to think that left-right politics or liberal conservative politics was a thing. Um, it's turned out that it's not a thing. Do you agree? You mean two, the two sides are, mm. are an illusion? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... I do think that there are probably... There's probably alignment of people who are, say, uh, traditional values. I don't know what you would call that. So, like... Um, like mom stays at home or something like that. I, and often they're called conservative. I think there's probably, but that, that might be more of like a, a social thing, not a political thing. I definitely think what's happening right now is more of a top down versus left, right. Uh, when it comes mm. to the way we see government. So I think it probably, you're probably right as it relates to the way people view government and how disenfranchised people feel from from the powerful at this point. But I do think there's probably a, some spectrum of people when it comes to sort of social, sort of social values, I guess, socio-familial values, where you might have some say like, you know, well, I, you know, we both feel like the government sucks, but, you know, we're, we're sort of, kind of atheist um i don't know maybe and i don't want to even put people in these camps but you, but i like living in seattle i would just say that you know there would be like the people who are like you know i i i think like i like sort of i and like i don't even know if traditional is the right word but you know what i mean like mom stays home dad works um you know you go to church on sunday you're you just have more like sort of the traditional value system versus the you know I think there probably is a difference there but they they both may see the government as as a well, abusive you do you do know that what you just described now is considered very far right oh really what going to well, church yeah and having and having a family <laughs> yeah well you know it's funny I was listening to another podcast the other day of uh, this guy who was he's kind of what I had never heard somebody describe it as a back to lander that's how he categorized like what we're doing we're back to landers you know returning to the land I guess and he said we're going to be the next domestic uh, extremists we're going to be the ones that are typecast as extremists because we're leaving the system and that's going to be crazy soon so um, and he's probably right. But, um, you know, it's funny because my my old boss used to call me a right wing liberal. And like, what what does that mean? And somebody told me maybe that means libertarian. I don't know. But, you know, I'm, I don't really fit in any of the categories because I care a lot about the environment. But I also care enough about the truth to call, you know, BS on policies that don't really protect the environment. Um, I, I really don't care that much um, what somebody else does in their own home, uh, but I don't really um, want, you know, to be forced to send my kid to a school where, you know, they're, they're I think, inappropriate, uh, age-inappropriate ideas uh, forced on them or, or ideas that I think divide people um, uh, inaccurately. I mean, my own newsrooms now are being forced to go through this training uh, this, you know, critical theory training where they're, they're literally being told how they have to see events through this particular racial lens. And it's like that, it, that theory itself is, 
is being debated by the public. So to tell journalists that they have to accept that that's the way that they need to see reality is fascinating to me uh, that, you know, you're just being told that. So, but they see that as very uh, groundbreaking and, and progressive. And I see it as like being brainwashed that, you know, you're being told now, listen, if you want to say this is one way, this is one way that people see these, you know, co a cop shooting or, um, like in Seattle, they just decided to get rid of the bike helmet law because it's apparently racist to wear a bike helmet or to be forced to wear a bike helmet. You know, fine, if you want to say that's one way people look at it, but to be to be forced to see that as the only way, like that is the way, otherwise you are racist if you don't see through this lens, that's just crazy. And that's, that's happening in schools now um, with gender, with race. And so, yeah, I guess, I mean, if that's right wing, but I don't really care what somebody else wants to do. So in a lot of ways, I'm like, I'm very much a liberal, but I guess, you know, in other ways I am a conservative, which is why I totally agree with you that I don't, I don't think those, those stereotypes work very well. De definitely not when you're talking about the government at this point or, or just the court, the big corporations, um, you know, the, the powerful special interests. I, I don't think it's a left, right thing anymore for sure. Since you decided to 180 your, your life, what have been some of your biggest red pull moments? Hmm. Well, I think, I think some of the stuff I've learned about foreign policy in the United States has, has been, I don't even know if that's red pill or just black pill, but just kind of, I didn't realize that, and not even foreign policy, domestic policy. I, I didn't know how intentional our government is in dictating what society looks like here and abroad. I didn't, you know, I just, I kind of just accepted that uh, when we were talking about something, when everybody was arguing about something that it just organically arose. I didn't, I didn't sit back and think who wants me to argue about this and who wants me to think about the world this way where where is the the programming coming from i just i just wasn't thinking about the intentionality of all of that and so i think probably big picture all of the little things that i've learned over the last couple of years have have led to that which is just i used to think that there were you know I, of course that there are forces that have have a have their own interest that they want you to play into but I didn't think about it in, as such evil in the way that I see it now. And I didn't, I didn't understand the extent to which these interests will go to form society to their benefit. And so now I have a very, I just, I really do believe like we, when we left the city and we decided to start moving towards homesteading, there was an ideological perspective to it but probably not in the way there is now. Now it's like we're, we left and we're out of the system because I don't think you beat them at their own game. I don't think there's a way to beat them at their own game. I think you have to create your own system, a new game. And so I think, I think that's, that's where we are now is just like, now I realize how this works. Like how, how does, how does the little guy ever win in that system? The parallel the only society. Way is out of it. Yeah. 
just like basically, I mean, not completely like you don't have to just go live in the woods or anything like naked and, you know, and what's that that what? show Naked and Afraid or something? What's, what's wrong with that? Naked and Afraid. Well, it's 17 degrees right now where I live, so I don't <laughs> I would be naked and dead at this point. But yeah, <laughs> oh, I mean, se- I just, 17. Oh, sorry, Fahrenheit. Hey. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's cold. cold. Yeah, that's cold. Yeah, I've been standing out here talking to you in in that in that weather. So I'm, I'm hardcore. Yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cold. Yeah. So, but yeah, I just I, I don't think there's any way to I don't think there's any way to stay in the system really and and win. So mm. that's probably been. But you know, talking to the doctors, I think like talking to all these COVID has really made my mind just spin. I think. Yeah. I think watching how the media. Uh, it's crazy. I think watching how the media handled the Trump presidency was the beginning of my going, what is wrong with you people? And then in my darker moments, I can see how, like, I've heard some people call him a Trojan horse. And I can see how they, they say that because it really did prime us for where we are now. Like the, that presidency, the way the media handled it and, oh my God, the Democrat, we, it's just, they, they created this special danger that we just had to start doing things differently during the, the tech companies. You know, we have to now kick people off, including him. And so then bring along COVID and you've already conditioned people to think that there's this danger they have to be protected from that came with Trump. And now it's like, you switch it from a, a person to a virus and and now you you can even amp it up more. And I just, I think that a lot of that was intentional. And, um, you know, that I would say like just seeing those patterns and, and instead of just saying, Oh, it just happened that way. Looking at it and saying there are puppeteers, you know, who are they? I'm not totally sure yet, but there are puppeteers running the show. I, I think that that's probably been the biggest eye opener for me. Uh, well, as a as a foreigner um, in relation to you, a, a big eye opener for me was uh, I never thought that the leader of the free world would end up being an old man who can't speak English properly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the, the media just gives a pass constantly, so... <laughs> um why yeah you you were talking about having a couple of doctors on and i'm not gonna let that one slide because i did i have watched a few of your videos and i have wondered what what was going through your mind say when you were chatting to sam and her husband uh yeah. talking about the non-existence of viruses was that a red pull moment yeah, for when you? Her husband, <laughs> yeah when her husband said i go i asked him something like um well, what do you think about the doctors who treated COVID and, and, uh, and, you know, are, are being, I don't remember exactly what the question was, but it had something to do with doctors who treat COVID and her husband goes, well, no doctor has ever treated COVID because <laughs> he doesn't believe it exists. Um, I honestly, I, I, I love talking to people who have ideas that I go, what? I, en- I really enjoy that. My genuine reaction is fascination and curiosity. I've always been that way. I, I remember even like with-, with people who had done extremely like evil things. I-, I-, I Like there was one time I interviewed a guy who was convicted of poaching, you know, a bunch of animals and there was video of it and all this stuff. And you're like, dang, that guy, like he was out for blood that day. Um, 
I, I remember listening to him and talking to him and, and like his childhood and his ideas about what he did. And I walked and I, I was actually just, I wasn't sitting there going, Oh, you're such an evil person. You're so crazy. I was, I was genuinely interested in, in how did, how did he in his mind end up where he was thinking that like this behavior, uh, was good, you know? Cause, cause I, I, I like to learn how people think. And even if I walk away and go, I disagree. I don't, I don't think it, I have a place to judge anyone as, as like a superior. And certainly with the doctors, I don't know more than they do. So the best I can do is walk away and go, hell if I know, because I, I can assure you that like with Dr. Bailey, she knows way more than I do. And for me to look at her and go, that lady's nuts. That would be crazy on my part because I don't, I don't know even a 10th of what she knows about this stuff. So I actually just, I'm just genuinely fascinated and I really enjoy it. I, 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 I genuinely enjoy it. I feel like I went on an adventure. I went on an adventure. Mm. I got to see things like a, like an intellectual safari since you're in Africa. And I got to see things and hear things that I had never seen or heard before. And, and it's, it's genuinely an adventure and I, I've, I've really appreciated all of it. How do you learn if you don't talk to people with very different views? Right. You can't. And that's also the art of storytelling because you start mm-hmm. building, a, because you start building your own story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and, um, it should be fun for journalists to do that too. It mm-hmm. should be fun. I wish, I wish they took more pleasure in, in hearing the dissenting or contrarian opinion instead of fear. Uh, Cause I think, I think they get afraid now too, now that there's, like I said, this whole guilt by association that if they even bring up this other idea in the newsroom that mm. they're going to be shunned by their coworkers. And so they're not even, it's not even that they're, they're like, they're not going out to do the interview. They're not even, they're not even presenting the ideas in the, in the newsrooms. Like, so they're not even having conversations among themselves anymore. Um, I know the people, the few people in my old newsroom who are not vaccinated and how they feel about that. And they're, they're totally maligned like lepers. In fact, I think there was almost like recently there was a whole controversy because, because they were, there was, from what I heard, there was an effort to try to, um, you know, push them out. And, you know, after all, they've gotten exemptions. These are the people who actually got through the exemption process, but even to remove them. At this point, it's just crazy. And so if you think your own coworkers are out to get you for your choices, which actually reflect a large portion of society that should be represented, but are you going to bring those those ideas up if you feel like it's going to cost you your job well maybe i mean some of us did that i did that but you know i'm half irish and i'm always up for a fight and not everybody wants to do that so and i and i don't judge people for not wanting to get fired i i got fired i know what that's like it's not fun but but that's why there's all this you know i i just don't think these newsrooms understand that the way they treat each other it will be directly reflected in their news coverage because you have hopefully, or at least if you're doing a newsroom correctly, you will have some kind of sampling of society in your newsroom. 
But if you are running your newsroom the way that these authoritarian governments, for instance, are running society outside the newsroom, if you're running it the same inside, then you're going to then your news is going to reflect that. And mm. so I think people should realize that the newsroom is its own little ecosystem. It's it's, its own little society of itself. But when you have a manager and a bunch of bullies in the establishment that that say this is the only way to think about things and they tweet stupid stuff like they're not going to drive through Texas, then do you think anyone's going to bring up, you know, well, maybe we should challenge this idea or maybe maybe people shouldn't be mandated to get a vaccine or maybe the vaccines are causing problems and stuff like that. Why would they even bring that up? Um, they know that it's a hostile environment and that the majority doesn't want to hear what they have to say. And so the news reflects their own their own little society. And, you know, it's getting worse because even like in COVID, it was bad enough before the vaccines. But now all the people that didn't get vaccinated, a lot of them anyway, got pushed out. So now you're left with in a lot of industries, not just TV, but now you're left with the people who were complying. So now you have the compliant people running the show. I mean, how is how is journalism an industry that's supposed to be about questioning the powerful but you booted all the people out that question the powerful. So now there's <laughs> those people are gone um, when it comes to this particular topic. How do you do your job? You've lost you've lost all the contrarians that were were going to give you a different perspective. So it's a mess. Yeah. What are some of the major things you've learned by getting off the grid? Um. Well, I've learned that there are. There, there are people very close to me who, for instance, because I don't have livestock yet, but I have made friends with people who do. I'm actually going to go take my daughter to watch a couple of our friends uh, shear their sheep, the wool off of their sheep once a year. And they're doing that today. So when we finish this, I'm going to take her up to see the sheep getting their wool cut off, which would be a terrible time to be a sheep having your wool cut off because it's very cold out. So I feel kind of bad for them. But <laughs> but I've, I've learned that when you start investing in little things like your food and you build relationships with the people who raise your food, that there's a whole new, new life that comes out of that. You think it's just food, but it's actually community. You know, these are people who are also kind of contrarian like I am and my husband is. And so we can talk about the craziness of what's going on in the world together. Um, we have a new economy basically because we can trade things if we want to, we don't have to go uh, to a bank to deal with them or, um, you know, to go to a grocery store that's got middlemen that raise prices or whatever else. So I've learned that decentralizing life and having, having uh, your economy, your food system, um, your schooling, whatever, like, cause we're probably going to homeschool all that stuff closer to home is uh much more than just what all these little things are there it's just it 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 kind of like i said it is it's a whole entirely new system and and you it's hard to just pull out a one without starting to realize that you're going to pull out of all of them and and it's much more fulfilling though because even though it's kind of scary like as we were talking about this like if we're just going to talk about the videos and talking to people who are different and everything you are learning things but then it challenges you to act differently. And, um, and I think that that challenges you to, well, why did I act this way before? Like, what was I scared of? Or, or what did I, what, what did I miss? Or what, mm. you know, what did I resent? Or who do I need to forgive? Or all these just big topics that I think I studied when I was in graduate school and seminary, but I had never really confronted in my own life. 
And so it's a real spiritual journey in a lot of ways. It, it gives, if you take it, it gives you the opportunity to really grow as a human being. And, um, you know, more and more, I think too, living out on the land, you have a different perspective on life and death and, and death is something that, um, you know, I covered a lot as a reporter. I mean, I talked to people all the time, like who had somebody die and I'd ask them how they feel and what's it like. And, but, but it was uh, just a job. It wasn't something that I had like experienced. And I think, you know, when you start realizing like, well, these people are going to kill those sheep. Eventually I'm going to eat them. Um, or I'm meeting them, you know, or the chickens or whatever, you just have a different perspective. And when you have your animals at home too, like my horse almost died a couple months ago. Um, it's not sanitized anymore. And you, and it, it forces you, if you, like I said, I guess maybe it doesn't force you, but it gives you the opportunity to confront your own mortality and, and to think about how you're not going to be here forever. And, and I think living the way we used to live, you could try to pretend that you were going to live forever technology or all these things that sort of were almost transhuman and and you forget that like no you're gonna be like the deer um you know or the coyote when you see the coyote eating a deer like you're gonna end up the same way you're just like them and so you know what is the point of all this i think i think it's just given me the opportunity to really find my humanity in a way that uh i was i was not i was not encouraged to when i was living in a world where i could just be distracted by by all the things that 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 did my life for me, because I didn't really have to do my life. Mm. There were grocery stores that did my life, and banks that did my life, and and jobs that did my life. They they did my life. I didn't do my life. I didn't live. They they lived for me. And I think now I'm finally starting to figure out what it means to really live, and I think also what it means to die. You're getting reconnected to the ecosystem of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just you know. St- as as it says in Ecclesiastes, for every time there is a season, and you know, or as the Beatles say, turn, turn. No, that's turn, Bob Dylan. Turn. Oh, sorry, it's Bob Dylan. <laughs> um, I try. Yeah, I I didn't even know who Madonna was until I was a senior in high school. <laughs> sorry, Bob. Um, yeah. Oh man. My dad used to listen to Bob Dylan and put candles on his car. Not when I was alive. When he was a teenager, he said he used to put candles on his car and they'd like put a picture of him on the car and they would dance, you know, oh, Bob Dylan. And now he's a surgeon, so I guess you can grow up. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, you, you just learn that, like, every, the seasons all have a purpose too, right? Like, you might sit in, in it's cold and there's snow and ice on the ground, but that all has a, a purpose. That, that's, a per, you know, that's our water that's going to turn into our water soon. And, um, and, and even fire has a purpose. Like we've almost had to evacuate a couple times, but fire has a purpose too. And a part of the problem that we're having here is that we've been putting out fire for a hundred years and it's led to a massive buildup in fuels. And so now the fires are a lot bigger than they would be naturally that the animals have a purpose. And so I think living in the old paradigm, you see, problem and solution a lot like that's the problem and I have to solve it but I think now if I'm paying attention it's it's not problem and solution it's like it's just noticing uh something that is like this just is and and um not that you don't you know have like 
pests or whatever like we have you know you have a rodent that's trying to eat your horse grain or something like its purpose is not to eat my horse grain um so that i can you know spend hundreds of dollars to continue feeding it i have to figure out what to do there but but i think now i look at it a little more like when i say it's just my my life like there's something that happens that comes up as a challenge i don't necessarily look at it as something that i have to get rid of or i have to I have to uh, distance myself from that. Maybe there's, there's a purpose for it or a learning lesson. Just some, just there's something more than just um, a life of a dialectic, which is good, bad problem solution, um, you know, discomfort and try to find comfort. Like maybe, maybe they're actually closer to being the same thing that, that discomfort, you can find comfort in discomfort and maybe, the problem is the solution, you know, just looking at things a little bit differently than just the way I looked at it before, which was like, life was just a constant dialectic of, of, um, uh, problem and, you know, needing to fix something. And, um, you know, and, and now it's like just more paying attention to the purpose that something that you may have considered originally as a pest, there may be some reason that, that it's around and, and you look at the mm. whole ecosystem that way. That's kind of terrain theory, I guess, like Dr. Bailey talks about. It's looking at the whole terrain and not the, just the ecosystem. The germ. Yeah, exactly. I, so, I, yeah. I happen to be an advocate of <clears throat> germ theory. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I know. Well, I was talking, I asked her, I thought that was funny. I, maybe I even said it in the podcast when we were talking that it's funny that she was, she's a terrain theory person and then she was talking to germ. So. With a J. Um, we yes. have we have been corrected by Jeanette in the comments who says that um, it's that not Bob song, Dylan. It's not Bob Dylan. It's a band called The Birds. However, oh, okay. however, however, there's a there's a there's a but. I'm going to ask her to look it up on the internet right now and have a look at who wrote the song, not who performed it. Uh, so while you and oh, I okay. chat, while you are while you and I are chatting, yeah, while we're chatting, I I hope that uh, she has a look to see who wrote the song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, do you, should I plug yeah. my 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 laptop in because I'm starting to see it's red? How um, much longer do you think? We'll no, germ? no, not much longer. Um, I was just okay. about to say we're going to. I, I said we're going to come in for a landing now. I just wanted to ask you. Um, uh, uh, there's there's so many things I can still chat to you about, but the. The one thing I really do want to ask you is how important to you um, are community and tradition and family values and those old school things that our grandparents did? Mm-hmm. Oh, very, very important. And not because I think that they always got it right, but I think like we were talking about earlier, if you don't know where you came from, then I'm not really quite sure you know where you're going. And so so perspective, I, I honestly think this is how the, the media keeps us continually buzzing because they don't give us context. It's, it's like each thing is it's new, brand new, crazy, hysterical event. And like often reporting on COVID, they don't tell you that some of the same things happened with H1N1 or, mm. you know, they go back to like, did you remember the government response to AIDS or all of these things and, and the control and they don't, they don't give you the context because if they could just keep you thinking that it's just a brand new enemy, 
and that they that you don't see their pattern you don't see the pattern of manipulation and propaganda and like oh wait they do this every two years then then how do you like how do you have perspective on any of the things that are happening right now if you don't you know that that's i think that's actually the wiping of tradition or the wiping of of historical context or whatever i i think that's that's intentional because that that keeps people fixated on you know, some kind of new enemy all the time without realizing that the enemy is often created um, by whoever it is that wants to freak you out and control you. And so the inverse of that is like the the positive traditions and whatnot, like that's what gives you context for your own life. Like you're not just hanging, you know, in the in the atmosphere or like all alone with nobody who's come before you and nobody who got through that or got through this. You know, my old babysitter who basically raised me she used to say, um, you know, this too shall pass. That was like the thing she said all the time. This too shall pass. Because that's what things do. They pass, you know, things come and things go. Going back to the song, I don't know if we have an answer yet on it. But but I think it is very important to me, not like I said, because of, of like we have to always do it the way grandma did it constantly. Like grandma used to cook over a, a, a wood stove. Well, now I have electricity. Can I use the electricity? Maybe. But really just because – a like well in that particular case you have more gratitude for the things you do have but then you can look at it and say well wait a second like for instance i don't use a microwave anymore and and knowing how my great grandmother used to cook things like maybe i don't need a microwave you know maybe i don't you know or let's talk about like i'm reading this off-grid cooking book right now and it's all about how you can like use nature the seasons and everything and cook accordingly so that you don't have to store things in a house with power, with electricity and, and refrigerators and stuff. Well, that saves money and it gives you the ability again to like live in a different place because you don't have to be connected to the grid. And so I think knowing all that stuff is really important because it, it gives it gives value and context to our lives. And like I said, I do think that's why they wipe context and tradition from our minds in times like this because – the inverse is like, you know, then you don't have context or relevance for what we're dealing with right now. And then we won't look at them and say, Hey, you guys did this before. Mm -hmm. So we're on to your game. So I, so I do think it is, you know, it can be used both ways. Do you get an answer on the song yet? Yes. All right. So the comment section uh, wins. You and I both lose. Uh, The answer, the, the answer was found by Tamara in Greece. And it's written by Pete Seeger, I think, if if I'm reading it correctly. Oh wow! So that that's the okay. person who wrote it. So uh, you were wrong with the Beatles. I was wrong with Bob Dylan, and uh, the comment section was correct. <laughs> Dang. Um. Well, it's, see, this is why you should never go. You never say, "Oh, you're dumb. How did you not know this?" <laughs> that it was written by those people because you'll be wrong eventually. In front of you, Addison, there's a crystal ball. What do you see? lunch i'm really hungry (laughs) (laughs) i just made a squash salad so (laughs) i'm gonna go eat that (laughs) um where can people follow you well i like for people to go to locals but if you're not on locals i'm I'm allisonmorrow.locals.com but if you're not there you can go to any of the other odyssey i'm on odyssey rockfin uh, YouTube, YouTube, you'll have all the links. If you go to my YouTube channel, 
every video has all the links to my other platforms under my name. So you can click on those and, um, you know, whatever platform you're on, I'm probably on it. You could go check those out. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is fun. Yeah, you're going to have to come back because this was an opportunity to improve on. For me? Well, this 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 <laughs> in, this entire connection issue thing. Uh, so. Oh, yeah. Uh, for so. sure. Next time I come, yeah, next time I'll be in my studio and hopefully the, the internet will hold up and I'll look much more professional. I'll look so professional people won't even know it's the same interview. And you can wear your blue your blue glasses. I'll wear my blue glasses, yeah, which I I don't know where I put them. I brought them out to the garage and now they're gone. And if I if I can't find them, then my whole all my my special powers will go away next time I do a podcast. So I gotta find them. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. Oh, my honor. Thank you. My name is Germ. This is uh, Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.